Welcome to episode number 88 of the Inspirational Athletes Podcast here on the Always Lancaster Podcast Network. I'm your host, John Walk, sports reporter for LNP Newspaper and Lancaster, LancasterOnline.com in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. On this week's show is guest Trevor Miller. Um, Coach Miller is a, I believe, 1999 Mannheim Township alum. He's now going into his 13th season as an assistant football coach at University of St. Francis in Indiana. Um, he's back home for a couple weeks in Lancaster visiting some family. I've had him on my list of potential guests for a while and finally uh, was able to kind of line him up to have him in here. And Man, he has a uh, pretty cool story just as far as his playing days going from township to Kutztown to always wanting to be a coach from the sixth grade on up and, and following that passion after he gets done at Kutztown, goes to Moorhead, and now he's been at uh, St. Francis for a while. And for those who are unfamiliar, St. Francis is the back-to-back NAIA national champion um, in football. We'll get into a lot of that, what his responsibilities are, um, You know, kind of chat about his coaching journey from playing to coaching, how he's gone about becoming a better coach. He's also a strength coach. Um, at St. Francis, so I kind of talk about the particulars of that and how uh, strength training has tra- has changed over his uh, dozen or so years at St. Francis and how he's adapted. And um, really cool conversation near the end, just as far as uh, his recommendations for high school players in the recruiting game of trying to enjoy your high school sporting event, not take things so seriously and kind of become a business nowadays, just as far as recruiting and stuff like that. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation. One last programming note before we move forward. If you like what you hear today, feel free to subscribe by going to Google Play or iTunes, searching Always Lancaster Inspirational Athletes and hit the subscribe button while you are there. All right, with all that out of the way, onto our conversation with Trevor Miller. Enjoy. Yeah, I wanted to kind of, I like to kind of switch things up just as far as doing icebreakers to get the guests comfortable. Um, So I wanted to ask you first off as we get started here, who was your favorite player or coach growing up? Uh, Growing up, my favorite coach was Bill Parcells because I'm a Giants fan. Oh, okay. So um, (laughs) growing up, Bill Parcells was my favorite coach. Um, And the Giants, you know, when I was younger, there was a lot of obviously great players um, on those Super Bowl teams. But I mean, I was a big Lawrence Taylor guy. And then he kind of started having, you know, off the field issues and stuff. Yeah. But uh, just watching him play was, was awesome. Um, I just love the Giants' running game and their whole line. And what was know. the first football jersey you think you owned? Like your first? Pro it was football? probably LT. Right. I would guess. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of family from Jersey, so oh. yeah. So. They kind of converted me before. And now you got a, you just came from Philadelphia. You have a brother living there? Yeah, I got a brother in Philadelphia um, who's not an Eagles fan. And uh, (laughs) I got another brother in Pittsburgh who is an Eagles fan. And then, All right, and yeah, you being so a Giants fan, I'm so a Giants whole fan. NFC East so, type yeah, thing. We got a lot right. going on there. But. Um, what was your very first job? Like not coaching. Like what was your first ever job? Um, Dean's Trees. It's a okay. Christmas tree. <laughs> it's a Christmas tree place. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was like a part-time seasonal deal. That All was right. my first job, and then I worked uh, at Subway as well, which was, which was fun. I enjoyed that, and then um, I drove forklifts for wow. my, my college summer jobs. When you were growing up, what did you want to be when you grew up? Football coach. Really? Yeah, right. I mean, it was wow. about it was about sixth grade that I can remember wanting to be a football coach. I actually used to script my plays when I was playing video games. To, wow. to give you an All idea. Right, that. In. All right. <laughs> yeah. And I spent a lot of time in class, you know, drawing up plays and stuff. So, yeah, I, I knew pretty early that's what I wanted to do. That's incredible. I don't yeah. often hear that. Sometimes it's kind of, yeah. you know, they fall into it later on in life. Um, yeah. So then as far as getting to the football days at Mannheim Township, uh, 99 grad from there, 
uh, I don't know. Obviously, you played pretty much all, all through high school um, as a lineman, but I'm kind of curious, like, when did that start? Did you play for midget ball on up, or was well, it until later? I don't know what the rules are now. I was too heavy to play midget ball. Really? So, yeah, right. I mean, I was and I, I was probably 60 pounds over the, the weight. Like, it's like a 135 I didn't know they had a cutoff. I don't know if they do right. anymore. Like, I know in Indiana they just put an X on your helmet, and you're not allowed to touch the ball. But mm. um, when I was coming up through the – through the school system, uh, I mean, I was playing soccer and baseball, and wow. <laughs> yeah. you tried everything. Um, yeah, I mean, so I, you know, I would have had to play like with eighth graders in like second grade. Dude, so. I hear you. I was yeah. always uh, my my dad's side. They're all really big people, and and I was kind of had that gene. I, even now, I try to keep the weight up. But anyway, when I was younger, I was a big kid. I was bigger than most kids, and it's like you know, you go out to play football. You're a lineman, and yeah, you pretty oh, much yeah. get stuck on the line. Oh, it's yeah. like, well, I don't want to be a lineman. I want to be a running back. Well, too big. <laughs> you're too big. Um, so I get you there. And so you tried all the other sports. It sounds like before football, I did, or? and then. In eighth grade I went out for the freshman team because um, there was no weight mm -hmm. limit and uh, you know I mean I knew pretty quickly I liked doing it um, I had I mean I knew right away I was gonna be an offensive and defensive lineman and you're okay with that I mean yeah <laughs> I mean it just I just wanted to play I didn't you know I didn't care <laughs> um, I didn't envision myself running the ball or anything right. and uh, you know I, I got to know pretty quickly too playing d-line that I was pretty much an offensive lineman right. so I mean it just kind of happened that way and I mean, I was fine with it, and right. it was a lot of fun. Hey, so. I'm kind of curious, too, because uh, I've talked to other football coaches in the past, and it's a sport that, I don't know, in a way, you know, with concussion awareness and whatnot and everybody calling it dangerous, we're doing as much as we can to protect it. But at the same time, like, I feel like the game's under attack in a sense. And the mm -hmm. reason I ask that or, or bring that up, like, I want to ask – um, what the game maybe has taught you, even from your playing or coaching days? Because, um, you know, I, I face trials in my life now, and I look back and mm -hmm. like, well, I learned this when I played basketball. I learned this when I played football. So I'm just kind of curious from that perspective how you think it kind of helped mold you over the yeah. years. Well, I mean, my parents taught me a good work ethic and kind of started that when I was younger. Uh, but just getting into football, um, you know, I played for Mike Fertucci at Township. And, you know, I mean, it was just – it just taught you mm -hmm. you had to work to – to achieve what you want to achieve and it was pretty mm. simple I mean if you put time in and you worked hard you were going to play if you didn't you weren't and um and, and that's what it taught me early on that I think I got a little bit more from football than other sports mm. um just you know it, it was that type of a work ethic that you know would carry you through to to get to where you wanted to be and then the team I mean just being a part of a team mm. you know is great like you know, I mean, you're playing on an offensive line, and you got to get five people going together at once. And, um, you know, it's just that, that teammate type of role I loved. How adept were it? Because you said, you know, from sixth grade, you were kind of drawn up, you're in place. So as yeah. an offensive lineman, maybe sometimes that falls in the center. Um, but just as far as knowing the play calls or where people are going to be, or maybe where you wanted those linemen that got up, like, hey, you, your spread needs to be this, or you need to be a foot out or foot mm -hmm. in or anything like that. Were you kind of the guy leading that, that charge at town? Not early on. Early? Okay. Not early on. I mean, I was, you know, I was clueless to the game. when I, <laughs> I mean, when I started playing in eighth grade, I, I still remember a game where I was playing D-line, and I kept getting hit out of nowhere, and I had no idea what was going on. And <laughs> years later, I realized I was being trapped. And uh, you know, I, I, I look back at that, and you just, you know, you're out there, you're playing, you're Let's having get fun. The eighth grader, yeah. You have no idea. I mean, in high school, we started getting a little bit more into schematics. Mm -hmm. As I got older, I did, um, you know, kind of learn a little bit. But you know, I started playing center in college, and that was when I really started to understand, you mm -hmm. know, schematics. Just because you kind of have to, you got to know protection, you got to know. Um, 
everyone's job run blocking and stuff like what that. was the jersey number and is there any significance to it 76 was high school um and then 66 was college and i mean not really they, those, those know, were the ones they gave signed me. or if like hey i want this because this guy's my favorite lineman and i want to be like him or anything like that i mean i never really specifically <laughs> had like offensive linemen really? that i was like right. were my fa- i just loved watching the giants like bart oates and jumbo elliott and, and those guys nice. were you know they were all pretty physical guys who I kind of wanted to be like. Yeah, so Trevor earned second-team all-conference honors as an offensive and defensive lineman at Mannheim Township. When does Kutztown come into play for you? Um, I started getting recruited, uh, I think, uh, towards the the beginning of my senior year, I think. And, Mm. uh, I mean, I knew pretty quickly from a standpoint of just knowing, you know, growing up near Millersville, um, that the PSAC was probably about where I would fit in. And uh, we actually went – to a slippery rock game which is a pretty good drive my parents drove me out there and uh, they were playing Kutztown so that was the first I mean I went really far out of my way to, to even learn who Kutztown was and uh, I ended up getting a call from a coach there um, a few weeks later and that you know they started talking to me and that's kind of how Kutztown got you on the ended radar. up being a four-year starter there but I'm kind of curious like that transition from high school to college it's always going to be challenging I'm kind of I've never asked I don't know how many line maybe you're only second lineman I've ever had really in here but kind of curious that challenge is it just it's probably not a matter of speed on the line maybe more so just size I guess going from high school to college yeah size was a big issue um because when I got there, I was probably about 260 pounds. And, uh, you know, I remember our first live rep, uh, my first live rep in college, I got destroyed. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was bad. And uh, so I redshirted. So, so I, I had a, yeah, so I had a redshirt year, which was basically practice and weight room. And I got up to about 280, 285. And, uh, and, and honestly, I, you know, I had a lot go right for me to start that first year. How so? There was not a ton of people in the program. We had some injuries. You know, we mm. had some some recruits leave from my class. They brought in probably eight kids in my class, and wow. I think half were gone by the end of the first year just for various reasons. And uh, so I probably wasn't necessarily ready yet, but getting on the field that early made me a much better player towards the end of my career because I had all that game experience and practice experience. and. You know, so a lot had to go right for me to start as a as a redshirt freshman. At Same uh, offensive lineman position all four years, or you pretty much play all spots by everywhere. The end? All right, <laughs> I, and it ended up being really good because you learn a lot. But um, <clears throat> yeah, going in my spring first spring ball, I was a tackle, which I knew I wasn't going to probably play um, going into that season. But they were just trying to get me more work and reps. Uh, so I started guard for a year, uh, then I switched over to center for a year. Then I switched back to guard, and then my senior year I switched back to center. So it was kind of, you know, back and forth. But I mean, it works out now that you're a coach and you can pretty much teach all the linemen every single position because you played it. Um, I was reading that you were a criminal justice major yeah. while at Kutztown, but you said earlier you wanted to be a coach. So it was like, were you thinking, okay, maybe I want to be a police officer and also coach, or what was the goal there, I guess? If, if I wasn't going to coach, I knew something in law enforcement would probably fit me the best you know I didn't really have a specific goal there but um I mean that was what I saw myself doing okay. if I wasn't you know were you doing anything during your time at Kutztown just as far as getting experience in the coaching side were you maybe more proactive than any of the other linemen or players there like going into coaching meetings or watching more game film with with your Kutztown coaches or anything like that just to get that yeah I mean I watched film with I had three O line coaches 
when I was at Kutztown. Dave Keeney was the head coach for my entire time there, and he was, you know, a really good influence on me offensively, you know, with, with some of the things that he kind of – he would, you know, once in a while kind of show the old line, hey, here's what we're doing. Um, and then all three of those coaches were really accommodating. Um, and uh, I'd go in, and, and one of my old line coaches used to bring Pete's in, so we'd come in and, you know, <laughs> and watch some extra tape. Another one brought muffins. There's a theme there. <laughs> There's a theme there. Um, but, yeah, so I'd watch tape. And then I also helped with recruiting. Um, I would help with the recruiting visits, taking recruits on campus, uh, hosting really? them wow. overnight. Yeah, so that was a big role that, that I kind of took on. And, uh, you know, that obviously helped just learning, uh, you know, that process from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, just playing center, you just get exposed to a lot of scheme. And it's really, I mean, it's the best thing that you can do to, to learn the game is to be forced to do that type of stuff in, in, in game situations. Just as far as, um, you know, I'm pretty familiar with it, but just for, for those who might not be. So, like, maybe a center and a quarterback are probably the two offensive guys who probably know the most, not only in the offensive sets, but what the defense is doing. Is that in kind general, of fair to say, usually? In ge- I mean, I've always known it as the quarterback's got to know everything, and then the center needs to know the box. So I would set okay. protections, uh, you know, and you, and you just kind of call protections based on the defense. You call the front for run schemes. The exact same things I have all my guys doing now, mm-hmm. I was doing then. Yeah, so Miller is a four-year starter at Kutztown, appeared in every game of his college career, six-time member of the Dean's List, had a three, uh, which is where you have a three-six OGPA or better. Um, he was a two-time recipient of the Kutztown University Provost Award, which is awarded to athletes with at least a 3.25 GPA. 2003 graduate of Kutztown, bachelor's degree in criminal justice, went on um, eventually, four years later, earns a master's degree from Kutztown Sports Management in 2007. But during that time, right after you get out done playing at Kutztown, immediately started at Moorhead State? Yeah. Okay, uh, coaching. It took a while. About? It took a while. It took about six months to get that job. Uh, I started applying the day after my, uh, my college career ended. I went on a website called footballscoop.com, and uh, I just started applying to every job that was open on there. So it's, you know, list the open jobs. I just started applying, and um, I had a connection at Moorhead State. The uh, offensive coordinator played center at Cal PA, another PSAC school. Okay. So he saw Kutztown <laughs> and said, all right, we'll give this guy a call. And Graduate assistant shot. that first year? GA, yep, two okay. years of GA at okay. Moorhead State. So What, what is, for those who might not be up to speed on that process are you pretty much like working a full-time job and then being a graduate assistant on the side or how does that work those two years like yeah, i mean you're a graduate assistant is supposed to work 20 hours a week and mm. then also get their graduate's degree uh so you know as a football coach it's i mean you're working the hours of the full-time coaches okay. and uh, then you're getting a grad degree as well and it's just it's 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 a full-time job without full-time pay it's paying your dues it's mm-hmm. you know learning you learn everything from the equipment room to uh, how to clean shoulder pads and how to do laundry to you know how to call a game and how to run a football team so it's it's right. it's all uncomfortable. and at the same time were you doing like an online thing to get the master's degree from Kutztown or does that come later it was at Moorhead so wow yeah so I took classes and uh, we just basically had two or three classes a week at night, and I got a sport management degree. And, I mean, it was uh, – there was a lot of graduate assistants at Moorhead, so it was pretty much understood. You need to be at class when you can be there if you're traveling for a game or if something really important comes up. You know, contact your professor and let them know. But, I mean, it was – you know, it, it was a very accommodating place because they, mm-hmm. they dealt with graduate assistants from all the different departments, not just athletics. So – at what point did you realize 
okay, maybe, you know, I know you said you wanted to coach since sixth grade, but like at some point you have to realize, okay, maybe this is definitely what I want to do. I like doing this. Was that early on or yeah. that, okay. Yeah, it was quick. It was quick. I mean, I enjoyed it. I had a good feel for him when I interviewed there and, and then just, you know, getting, yeah, I mean, the first year you get more football knowledge right. on that side of it than you accumulate in your entire playing career. And, uh, you know, after the two years at Moorhead, it's, you land at University of St. Francis out in Indiana. I'll ask you in a second how you got there, but you're going into your 13th season there now. So obviously you've made pretty much a home. Um, and, and I guess I'm wondering why, why is that? Because it seems like a lot of the coaching staff is pretty much stuck out there for, for several years. You guys are like one big family now. Like, what is it about that school or that place that has kept you there for so long? It's a hard place to leave because uh, we have a chance to win every year. So that's good. And then Kevin Donnelly, the head coach, started the program uh, back in 98. And he's just built that thing from the ground up. And it, it's really been – his consistency at the top that I think has created all the consistency down through uh, the coaching staff retention, the player retention, just all those things. I mean, he's been there. It's his retirement job. I mean, once he's ready to retire, he'll retire from St. Francis. And that's a unique situation, too, having a coach that's not working for the next year. I mean, he's pretty much got he's he's, he, for the long haul. He's yeah. got the reputation that he doesn't have to worry about one bad year and he's out the door, you know. So mm -hmm. which um, is uh common in college football it circles. Is. Yeah. It is. So it's because that's often a profession and it's like maybe I've talked to other coaches and it's like they have wives with kids and it's like you sign up for if you're gonna marry that husband, like you're probably gonna move every four or five years until they find that good spot and here you guys are and you've been there for a while now. Um yeah for those who aren't familiar uh Coach was talking about head coach Kevin Donnelly out at St. Francis. He started the program 21 years ago, has since turned it into a winner, a perennial NAIA top 25 team in the last 17 years. Most recently, St. Francis back-to-back -back NAIA national champion, um, and Coach Trevor Miller has been on the staff the last 12 seasons. Um, originally, how did you, you find that gig? Was it just a matter of applying? Did you know somebody there? How did that work? Uh, after two years of being a GA, uh, we went to a convention uh, they, you know, the AFCA, the Coaches Association, meets once a year in January. So we went to a convention, and the Moorhead State coaching staff told me, we're going to get you a job. So they went and just let everyone know that they know, you know, hey, we got an O-line GA looking for a full-time position. Um, the offensive coordinator, Gary Dunn, at uh, Moorhead State played for Coach Donnelly mm -hmm. when he was at Cal PA. So that was the connection there. And I got an interview. I drove up to Fort Wayne from Moorhead. And uh, got an interview and ended up getting the job. What did you do that first year on staff? I was Francis? offensive line, strength and conditioning, and uh, basically was in charge of, of running the weight room, the school weight room, and, mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So since you, I was going to bring it up a little bit later, but since you just brought it up, the strength training aspect. You're still the strength coach now. Yes, I am. Um, so I'm curious as far as like how up to speed you stay on maybe the latest in strength training. Like, are you a muscle and fitness guy, a magazine subscriber? Do you try to um, stay up to speed in the latest? Like, okay, athletes are doing this now. How have you adapted over the years? Because you've been doing it for 10 plus years now. Mm -hmm. I got certified um, through the NSCA, their CSCS certified strength and conditioning specialist, probably about seven or eight years ago. Uh, so that was the only real formal uh, education I ever had and, it, and it's a it was a very good program to do uh, so they have research every two years or every two or three years that that you know I always do uh, research for and you know you just submit different projects and stuff uh, the main thing we've done uh, at St. Francis and, and what I do is I just steal from 
great strength coaches who are at, at other schools. And I take ideas from them and kind of adapt them to what we do. And I mean, our, our number one goal is, is getting guys to move faster, uh, change direction quicker, and stay healthy. So everything we do is, is going to have some way of accomplishing those goals. Um, so two things there. First off, if you started doing that in mid-2000s, you're now still doing it in 2018, can you kind of compare the first year of strength training to now just in terms of maybe how things cha have changed over time? Like I imagine you're probably doing completely different lifts now than you were 13 years ago. It's we're very similar with our basic lifts, like, you know, all the Olympic variations right, and the yeah. squatting and stuff. But what we've really gone to now just at St. Francis is, uh, you know, we used to do a lot more maximal lifting uh, when we were uh, the 06 to about the, you know, 2010 era. We were doing a lot more one rep max in and uh, getting the 90 percent plus on the bar a lot more often. Now we're, we're in our, you know, 70 to 85 percent range lifting the bars fast and as hard as we can mm. and and really trying to get our kids to move fast even when they are under you know larger loads and then the other thing that we really have uh, started to focus on and we've done a great job of this because we got a new weight training facility in 2013 so it really expanded what we could do uh, but we really focus on every single day whether it's jumping throwing sprinting starting stopping we start with athlete stuff every day and years ago, we didn't have the, the facility to be able to do that all the time. So that was, you know, you'd get kind of muscle bound in the, in the winter months. So what do you mean by doing athlete stuff? Just sprint work is, is a priority, okay. getting their maximal speed up. Uh, having them change direction and react visually is a huge thing. Uh, jumping, throwing, just do, exerting force fast and, and getting them to, uh, you know, to be fast players and is what we try to do responsibility as a strength coach like you're you're talking about doing those types of routines but like okay maybe that works for skilled players you probably have a different setup for maybe say offensive linemen i guess or it's a little like different you have to tailor it unique to the positions it's a little different but our main stuff is our main stuff okay. you know like we we start uh, with with all of the speed work first, and then we go to some type of Olympic lift, and then we go to some type of lower body bilateral twice a week, and then single leg once a week, um, and then some type of upper body press. And then after that, we build armor, which is basically just putting on size, shoulders, the midsection, at the lower body, muscles around the knee. And then after that, you know, sometimes we will get a little bit more specific with how we condition. So we'll have linemen pushing sleds and doing farmer's walks and and then you know skill guys are we just want them running uh, you know getting good at running and moving <laughs> moving you know moving as fast as they can consistently uh, but we, we I mean we play long seasons at St. Francis I mean we're preparing to hopefully play into December every year uh, so we're three days a week two hours a day in the off season we try not to burn them out okay. we, we try to get them in get get work done and then let them go you know be college students and have jobs in the summer and that type of stuff so do you uh, have to keep track of like say the squat bench uh deadlift numbers of, like of each of your athletes as they go through the off season like hey you did this last week let's add five pounds on here do you do that for each athlete or no we we track it but we really try to not say you have to lift this much weight because what that'll do is that turns every single time we're in the weight room into a test of strength mm. and we want to train like, like we want to train to make them better. So we will do max work. So we'll take a single on power clean, um, and then we do rep maxes for squat and bench. But 
even when they set those numbers, we usually train off of a lower number than what they max at. And what we explain to them is that we're training to be athletes. We're not chasing numbers in the weight room. So I tried to avoid uh, getting them in the mindset of just get the weight up any way possible. You know, right. we want bar speed. We want great technique. And then we want a training effect to occur, not just a, you know, you know 18 to 22. I mean, come on, you're getting in <laughs> All there. the energy in the world. Yeah. I want to see how much I can, I can bench. I, you know, That's I right. want a number. So, you know, we do want that to be a competitive deal, but we also want it to be, I mean, we want to train more than we want to test. Got you. Um, thanks for sharing all that. I, I was going to hit on that later, but since we covered all the strength training stuff, let's get back to the coaching side. Last fall, um, St. Francis won a perfect 14-0, and 0, um, which is why Coach is talking, you know, they're often playing into December, back-to-back -back national champions. But uh, the Cougars, as an offense, top 30 points in every regular season game and 12 of 14 contests overall. St. Francis scored 43 points or more in seven of the 14 games and on the year ranked eighth overall in NAIA at 43.6 points per game. Shortly after the season, um, St. Francis co-offensive coordinators Patrick Donnelly and Coach Miller were named the NAIA Coordinators of the Year by the website footballscoop.com. Um, with all that being said, you know, without having seen your offense, um, first off, what is your responsibility on game day? Are you calling plays? or, or what, I'm just kind of curious about what your involvement is there for the offense. We do something a little unique. So um, I'm the run game coordinator, so mm. uh, on game day, I will suggest a run. Uh, Pat Donnelly is the passing game coordinator, and he will suggest a pass. And then Coach Donnelly will, will choose one of the two, depending on what he wants to do. And other times, Coach D, with the 300-plus wins, he can call some, some plays. Other times, he just calls what, what, what he wants to call. I mean, he's a great instinctual play caller. So uh, plays like draws, screens, misdirections, mm. going deep, taking touchdown shots. You know, I remember in 2006 or seven, we were down playing Bethel, who was just a great football team. We're at third place. It's third and ten, and uh, and he calls QB draw, and you know this was really early in my career. But they were running two man, so it's literally the perfect call. I mean, we had two backs in the backfield, just run flat routes, go wide, and linebackers just turn and run with them. And safeties are sitting over top with zero run responsibility. Our receivers are running. We have three receivers that are running the corners off. There's no one. I mean, we, we, we turned a, a seven box into a five box, which you got five linemen to block five, and we pick up the first down with ease. And, you know, there's other times where we have toss plays and just quick hitting plays where he'll just call them and we'll yeah. score. And it's, it's multiple times a year. So uh, his instinctual play call is why he has that final decision, also because he's the boss. But um, he'll just he'll call things that will really help us open up a game because you can hit someone deep or you can hit someone with a big play, slow down the pass rush type stuff. Mm -hmm. It really helps your, your in-game strategy. And, and that's fascinating. Is that – I don't know, maybe because you've been at one place so long you can't answer this, but is that uncommon just as far as, like, having a head coach and then a, a pass coordinator, a run coordinator, just as far as three guys all involved and trying to kind of choose a play? Or I would I would guess yeah. so. I don't know of anyone And, and it sounds it complicated, way. but obviously it's worked for you guys. But then again, I guess a guy, uh, Coach Donnelly, with that much experience, obviously knows what he's doing. But And it, in a game, like if you get to a third and three, okay, we're running. What, what is Trevor going to do? Or a third and 15, then he turns. So it's not as complicated, I guess, as it sounds. And we, and we have a sheet that we make. So it says third and 10, 
third and five. All right? right. So we've got top five conversion tools in those situations, third and short, fourth and goal. So mm-hmm. we have a sheet we're all looking at too. And then uh, it's the times when you go off the sheet that I think the system really helps us because, you know, if we start – I mean, there's always going to be in-game mm-hmm. adjustments. So if we start seeing different things and then, you know, the halftime discussion occurs – it's even if we get a little bit off the sheet, we still get back on the same page pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's it, 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 it sounds like a lot, but over the years, it's kind of just become second nature to how we do things. What kind of system or formation would you guys say you typically run? We are a spread team, but we have a, uh, a player who could be described as a tight end, H back, or an inside receiver, depending on who we have in the game. Right. So we have a uh, we we have an adjuster. And then Coach D has been running run and shoot uh, for years. Wow. And we've gotten away from the shoot formation, but the run and shoot passing principles are still very much mm-hmm. what we do. Coach D's offensive philosophy is go where they ain't, not where they is. <laughs> and that's run game. Keep that's, it simple. It, yeah. It's literally, I mean, it's, you know, if they're in a five box, run it at them. If they're in a six box, throw it. If they're one high, run four people vertically, and one of them will probably be open. If you don't complete it on first down, mm-hmm. do it again on second type mm-hmm. of stuff. I mean, it's it's really, you know, it, football can be as complicated as you choose to make it. Mm-hmm. We try to get the best players and, and not screw it up from a play call. And uh, just to throw some numbers out there, uh, Cougars last season were 4,100 passing yards, 39 passing touchdowns, four interceptions, and you think, wow, at least looking down on paper, they must be a really uh, pass-happy team. And then you look at the running numbers, running back Justin Green had 351 carries, 2,000-plus yards, 29 rushing touchdowns, all of which those last numbers rushing anyway play second nationally. So you guys are getting it done on the ground as well. With that being said, with you being a run game coordinator, how have you kind of learned or developed what works, what doesn't over the years? Like, are you, uh, I don't know, going to camps in the summer or, or looking at other game films or anything? I'm just kind of curious of, of how you've developed your run game attack over the seasons. Well, when I first got there, I didn't have much input in the run game uh, just because I was a young guy. So I, I learned a lot from Coach Donnelly early on how to attack people. I had never seen a system of – getting to the line of scrimmage and checking a run play based off of one person's alignment that go where they ain't, not where they is theory. Uh, So I learned that. And then we just kind of have worked together as a staff over the years to evolve a little bit to Mm -hmm. just kind of, uh, number one, we always adapt to our personnel. So as our personnel changes, like for instance, this year we have a different quarterback uh, playing for us in the last four years. So our offense is going to be a little different because if you're not doing what your players are Mm -hmm. doing well, you're just not utilizing their talent. So, you know, we do evolve based on who we have playing for us as our number one every year goal is put those kids in a position to make plays. And then from there, we've just – we've got our five or six base plays that we're going to run, and we're going to run well, and we're mm. going to practice. If you can't practice it every day, when you get to game day, if it's not executed, it's on the coaching staff. It's not on the kids. So. Uh, we have those core plays, zone plays. We have a couple power plays that we do, uh, and then a misdirection. And then after that, we just find how are we going to get fourth and one, third and one, first and goal, fourth in the season, what are you calling? Yeah. And we kind of run out the, the, you know, the run list from there. So in every game we play, we want to have those five or six base plays. We're going to have play actions off of them, misdirections, boots, all that stuff off of the run game. And then we're going to find a way to get – first downs when those critical situations occur and if it's fourth and goal fourth and one 
you better have a you better have an answer you know <laughs> yeah. so and uh all right so we're recording this second week in july you're obviously an indiana resident now um how often are you coming back home are you visiting family in lancaster i know you just came from philadelphia yeah like you're here for a week or two until you go back here for about 10 days i'm going back sunday and then we're pretty much the season's going to be underway uh, when is the first practice first pra- august 5th Okay, so August right around 5th. the corner. Yeah, and then we open on the 25th, so it's going to be a nice, a fast turnaround there. Yeah. Um, point of the podcast, last question for you. I kind of like to ask guests if there's anything that you can kind of leave us with just as far as maybe life advice or maybe somebody's going through a tough time in their life and mm-hmm. they need to pick me up. You know, you've been coaching forever, so maybe you have a lot of philosophies, but I'm just, I'll, I'll let you take that whichever way. I didn't know if you can kind of impart some words of wisdom for us. I, you know, just the thing that comes right to my mind right now is – I'm watching the recruiting process from afar. You know, I don't have a kid going through the process, and I'm obviously not going through myself, but it's changed a lot. And what I'm seeing with high school sports is a lot of athletes are worried a lot about what they're going to do in college and getting to college, getting a scholarship, mm-hmm. which is obviously a, a big help financially, and it is important. But, you know, kids seem to be kind of missing the point of, of playing team sports and having fun playing sports. Mm. And and I think the recruiting side of things, uh, a lot of people think you have to spend money and go to training services, recruiting seven services, on seven seven on yeah. sevens. I mean, you know, these kids aren't being kids anymore. You know, they're, they're turning it into a job. And, and there's nothing wrong with, with wanting to be recruited and wanting to get a scholarship. Mm. But it's a lot easier than I think most people think. you got to work your tail off. And you have to get yourself out there a little bit. But then the number one thing you need to do is get better at your sport and, mm. and enjoy the process of playing the sport, not always worrying about what's next. And we just see it so much now with social media. It's become about, you know, getting offers out there and saying, I'm going to this camp. And, I mean, I'm recruiting kids who have spent the entire month of June away from their team going to individual prospect camps at Division One schools mm. where their chance of, you know, getting an offer from a Division One school is pretty low. So, you know, go to a couple camps, but spend time around your team, playing your sport, getting better at your sport, mm. not turning it into a – it just seems like it's turning into a, you know, a means to an end now, high mm-hmm. school sports. And I think the high school sports career is something people should enjoy, not, you know, turn into a – Turn you only get to play high school sports once, one man. Time. I would pay so much money just to be able to suit back up one more time. I know what you mean. So, no, that's great. If I could, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, for it really is. Yeah. Thanks for going really that is. that way. Well, hey, if you guys enjoyed listening to today's podcast and you enjoyed listening to the previous 87 episodes, so feel free to go back and listen to those in the archives. Just last week, we chatted with Hempfield alum Danny Bland. She's coming off an All-American season as a sprinter at Emory University. University excuse me. Next week, we're kind of switching things up a bit. In that, while we usually have guests here that are current or former athletes or coaches, I occasionally like to use this as a platform to kind of give local local organizations a voice to kind of doing good things that are helping others through physical fitness. Along those lines, next week we'll be chatting with folks from Vision Corps of Lancaster. It's a local nonprofit that aims to help others that are blind or visually impaired through various means, such as a kayaking event that's coming up in August that we'll talk about. With that being said, I'm always looking for any suggestions for future guests on this show. So if you're listening to this and think, hey, I know this person, they'd be great. Throw me an email, jwalk at lnpnews.com or contact me on Twitter at jwalklmp. Uh, Coach Miller's point of the podcast where I like to ask folks, um, how, how can people follow you or or 
find out more information about your football program or anything? Uh, sf.edu is, is the school's website. There's an athletics link there if they want to check out the football team. I'm not on any social media, okay. so I got off of that. My Good email is tmiller at sf.edu. Um, if they ever want to email me. Uh, and then we do have Twitter pages for the football program. Yeah, and that's uh, at SF Cougars and at USF underscore football. Um, all right, before we wrap up here, I just want to give a shout-out to my colleagues Tyler Huber and Irene Snyder. They are the engineers slash producers of this podcast. Thanks to another colleague, Claudia Espensheet. She gets this thing online. So thanks to them. Thanks to you guys for listening. Coach, thanks for uh, sharing your story, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate cool. it.